This podcast may contain strong language and adult themes. Frankly, if it doesn't, I'll be f***ing surprised. that if I was going to ask my friends whether I could trawl through their old letters, I really should be prepared to face the music myself. Hello, I'm author Ed Payne, and whilst I've always written, I haven't always been a good writer. My good friend Sophie and I are going to read some of my earlier works and see whether I was a born novelist or whether it took some extra work. This is Dear Me, Postscriptum. Postscriptum episode two. Apologies, I've got a stinking cold. You're going to hear me blow my nose throughout. However, someone who isn't uh, struck down with disease is our Soph. She's back. Heidi, Heidi, hi. How are you? Very good. I was delighted to read your second instalment of an author's influence. Yeah. Despite mocking uh, the entire first 13 pages, I think it's quite gripping. Do you? Are you actually gripped now? Because the, the, the whole point of it is you've read it and I haven't. That's right. So I've written it, but we're talking 1991, 92 was the last time I wrote this, uh, read this. Whereas you, you, Do you remember what sort of, um, genre, what genre the book was? Well, um, I think I was reading a lot of, sorry, I'm going to blow my nose. I was reading uh, a lot of point horror at the time, so I was very much a um, a fan of the teen angst cliffhanger. Yeah. So every single um, episode, every single uh, chapter had to have some kind of cliffhanger, which seemed yeah, which kind and of also, was not as it seemed by the time you got to the beginning of the next chapter. There's also a lot of very intelligently thought out murders. Not run of the mill stuff. No, it's very. Um, I I like to ramble on. I I leave no stone unturned, do I? That is absolutely true. When you're describing journeys or um, minor construction, <laughs> um, local council planning decisions, <laughs> the reader really gets under the skin of all of those. It's it's all there where you can see it, really, isn't it? It is all there. And I have to say, I think you leave the reader wanting more there, which might be a sign of your juvenile inexperience. Perhaps. Perhaps. But I would just like to say that uh, this was in the days before the Olivetti typewriter. So everything that I wrote down would have to, that would it, that was it. That was, you know, there was no going back. Once it was on paper, you know, I didn't really leave room to cross anything out. So, you know, the editing process never happened, really. It was first draft and or bust. That's true. Because you can, you can see when you write it that you didn't really want to cross anything out. No. The presentation is, is good, actually, given that you... How long is it in total? 38 pages with a prologue and, a, and an epilogue. Yeah, all handwritten. All handwritten. Yeah. I must have had a really sore wrist by the end of this holiday. You must have done. And uh, you can see sometimes where the pen runs out. I think I've already noticed two <laughs> pens running out at the length of your uh, musing. So, before we dive right in, because I can't wait... Uh, can you just give us a quick rundown of where we are at the moment? So, 
The first segment focuses on Natasha, who is a budding author uh, and admires um, the grandmother of erotic fiction. <laughs> okay. Now, Natasha is en route to Cornwall with with quite an, a lengthy journey where she's on ferries uh, from her home in America. Um, and she is eventually decides to invite her lover, James, with whom she plans to wed. Um, well, she did ask him, didn't she? He asked her and she said she wasn't ready. And then on the ferry, she thought, do you know what? I'm ready. Yeah, just automatically thought that. I'm going to ring James and let him know. But she couldn't find a phone, could she? No. She was going around and around. But she had to focus on James. Luckily, he knew a very good hotel that she could end up in when she got off this nightmare journey that would have taken her days and days and days, yet took her only a matter of hours. And also, he knew a way to get there within a matter of hours because he said, I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah, and it was 10 to 12. He's a man that gets things done. So, we leave them in bed, do we not? We do. Are you looking uh, forward, are you looking in bed for this? five days, only oh no, only in bed for three days, only stopping to only getting out of bed five times, which we discussed the hygienic um, and material issues that arise from that. I wonder whether they're wearing adult nappies. <laughs> that would answer a lot of the questions, wouldn't it? Do you know Stuart for Christmas bought me a bib, like an adult bib that they use in convalescent homes. Sophie, it's the best present ever. I wear, I wear it all the time because I'm always spilling my dinner down myself. Always. I'm imagining you on the sofa, max on one side. Yeah. Chowing down. What? What would you normally have? Well, it could be anything from spaghetti to um, cauliflower rice. And Very messy. Very messy. And does it catch the food in a little scoop at the bottom? No, no, no. It's it's like a wipe clean. It's like a t-shirt with no sleeves, really. Sexy. But it's in a nice floral print. Oh. So something nice to look at while you're sponging yourself down. Yeah. Does that make you feel um, good about yourself? Well, when the inevitable happens and I do end up in a home, at least, you know, I've got my own creature comforts. Right. So let's get straight on with the good stuff. Let's have an author's influence part two. car journey was okay. James was rich, so he hired a car from Southampton. Natasha was excited about going to Cornwall. She had never been to England before, and she'd been looking forward to it for ages. With James's hand wrapped around hers, she felt safe and well looked after. She had phoned her mother before they set off. Her mother lived on her own. Betty Ellen Jennings. There's a lot of um, second name checking yeah. in this book. I, I do wonder if you um, had been watching a lot of Murder, She Wrote or something. Dynasty, perhaps. Yeah, because the American names are spot on, actually. Yeah. So her mother lived on her own, Betty Ellen Jennings, after divorcing her father, Clay Louis Jennings. When Natasha was just nine. I've told you there would be a divorce in here somewhere, didn't I? Yeah, although Natasha seems to be fairly sorted from it in a way that I suspect you probably weren't. Yeah, quite. And also, you know, considering I never had to deal with anyone knifing anyone else, she's dealt with it quite well. She has, yeah. 
<laughs> Although we might find out in her work that that's where she uh, she gets all of her anger out in. Now, this is quite funny. Her father went to Philly. I've actually crossed out Derry. So I'm getting me Ireland and me America mixed up there. I'm an ass. <laughs> so her father went to Philly to live. I mean Philadelphia, surely. With a stuck-up tart. <laughs> Mary Lou Adams seemed to be Mary Lou Jennings. He had been living with her for seven years. She only had phoned her father three times a week. That seems rather excessive, I think. And refused to see him until his wedding. She's... I have to say, so this bit, you really do get a sense of Natasha, who up to now has been a nice girl, who's focusing on her work. Uh, she does get her head turned by lovers, but who doesn't? But you don't really see um, a shady side to Natasha. Um, but obviously her relationship with her father really shows the reader a vicious streak. Mm. Mm. She's, um, she's had a hard time of it, hasn't she? And I mean, she's only phoning him three times a week. Mm-hmm. But refused to see him at all until his wedding. Well, that's that's a that's an American movie right there, isn't it? Yeah. That's a, that's a that's a book in itself. Maybe that's the plot to Hellbound, as yes, we heard exactly. from the last chapter. So uh, she only phoned her father three times a week and refused to see him until his wedding. She was going, even though her mother was stuck against it. She was a woman. Don't know what that means. No, I don't know what that means no, either. No, I guess it was, um, her mother was stuck against it, but she was a woman. She could do what she wanted, I guess. I don't know. 20 years of having a father, she wasn't going to disown him after that. Even if she would wear black, turn her Walkman, there it is, up loud, at the ceremony, scowl at Mary Lou, just so that she could see and cross her eyes and stick her tongue out at the camera. Oof, she's a I devil. Prefer, I prefer she didn't go if it was me. Yeah, and me. That's, um, yeah. you know, who, who wants that? Closing your eyes in the middle of the wedding photos. Oh, what a bitch. She, um, she got her earphones in. Is she listening to her Walkman? Yeah, she be listening to that Walkman. Yeah. All the way, living in a box. All the way through the ceremony. Her brother Aaron, spelt with two N's, 18 in brackets. And two A's. <laughs> Aaron lived with her father. She refused to talk to him at all because of how he'd upset their mother when they'd argued when he was 16 and he had moved away to Clay's. He had written her some letters. Natasha had sent him one recently. Oh, here we go. Go on, Soph, you take the reins here. Okay. Dearest Aaron, now you are 18, then you'll be able to understand how pig-headed you're being. I will refuse to talk to you at the ceremony. And don't think I'm talking to the two-headed bitch. She can just take it all away from us. I know that I'm a respectable woman now. But it ain't going to mean that I'm going to see this from both sides. And I think it's not worth arguing. I'm different, I'm afraid. You only have to call mum. I'm sure dad won't mind. I hope not, but I wouldn't ask Miss Adams. She'd probably refuse. From Natasha and P.S. I'm writing a book about you. It's called The Selfish Asshole. When I finished with it, you can have first copy. That's brilliant. Actually, Isn't it? That is a that's a classic American soap knife twister, isn't it? I'm gonna use that. I'm writing a book about you. It's called The Selfish Asshole. <laughs> 
when I've finished, you can have first copy. That's great. Yeah. Yay me. Natasha thought... Um, perfectly read there, darling. Natasha thought that she was too harsh on him, <laughs> you think, and wasn't worth fighting about. But she needed to show him that her mother was not just a roof-over-my-head toy, which you could just walk on whenever you felt like it. I don't know what she's going on about. What am I going on about? I suspect you just had a row with your mum before you wrote this bit. Mm. Do you reckon she, I'm, I'm living vicariously through Natasha? Yeah. Obviously, Aaron loved his father and wanted to be with him, but Natasha knew that that was only half the reason. I don't do very well at, at um, kind of joining together emotions, do I? It's just a constant kind of... Um, Paint splatter of thought here. Thought and plot. Yeah. <laughs> and never the twain shall meet. No. Exactly when you uh, go on to the next paragraph. So here it is. Elspeth looked at the lonely customer wandering around the tins, trying to pick out, pick one out, then the other. What? The other what? Elspeth was tired and annoyed just seeing customers come in, look at the prices, and then go out again and say to their husbands, Oh, it's too pricey, dear. Let's go elsewhere. Which <laughs> she doesn't work in Lidl's, obviously. Elspeth Han was born and bred in Appledore. She was 55 and unmarried. Oh, perish the thought. She tipped her glasses on her nose and, getting tired with the customer constantly changing her mind, she asked politely, can I help you, love? No, I'm fine, thanks, the woman replied. Mark Halibut stood outside the co-op door, thinking about how he was going to swindle his way around Elspeth. I feel like we're getting some traction here with plot. Yes, I think you are. We're, we're, we're in Cornwall, aren't we now? Yeah. So actually, yeah. I've got the wrong accent, haven't I? I've been doing it in a Yorkshire dialect, when in fact it should be war. Yeah, and I do think that the Americanisms remain with all of these people in Cornwall. Right. Yeah, but I'm not going to let that stop my enjoyment. Mark Halibut is a fabulous name. <laughs> this old lady in the shop, she's, uh, we've, all bit... met her, haven't we? we've all met an Elspeth. Sounds a bit fishy to me, Mark Halibut. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Come on, he thought. You're the best liar. Surely you can trick old Elsie into letting you. She knows nothing. OK, just do it. He put his hands in his pockets and walked in casually, whistling. He browsed for a while and then said, Hey, how about ten Marlborough? He rubbed his chin. Off with you, Elsie said. Halibut, you're only fifteen. How the hell do you know, he asked. I've seen you around and I have my sources, she replied. She fluffed up her honey-permed hair. <laughs> Sounds sticky. And a, no. and a packet of... And took a packet of Marlborough off of the shelf. Where's the money, she demanded. Here, he said, sliding two pound coins and sixty pence over the counter. Jeez, gone are those days. Almost made me wish that I lived there. Yeah, me. Cheap as chips. She picked up the money and gave him sixpence out of the till. God, he's got change out of that. She then got a yeah. black, fat marker pen and wrote in big letters MH71094. 
She then put the Marlborough packet underneath the counter. There, I'm saving them until your next birthday. Oh, that's good, isn't it? Is it good? It's not good for Mark Halibut, is it? Well, it's not good for Mark Halibut, but she's a feisty one. I like that. She is feisty, that's, that's come true. Out, I, think, I think that's come out of a pin to play, that. Oh, really? Yeah, I reckon. <laughs> it's a bit too smart. Although maybe, um, I'm, maybe I'm doing myself a disservice, maybe. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I would take the credit for that. All right, I'm, gonna, I'm going to. I'll have that. Tight cow. How do you know when my birthday is, he said. As I say, I have my sauces, she said. I'm assuming it's not ketchup and brown. God, he muttered and walked out casually. Again, very casual, isn't he, Mark Halibut? <laughs> At the ripe old age of 15. Elspeth went back to flicking through flicking. <laughs> As you say, you, you've written it down on a bit of paper now. What can you do? You I know. I've flicked enough. She went back to flick... I'd yeah. argue that this isn't a doll magazine because the story is about some woman's life story about how her husband had left her for a motorcycle. <laughs> I'm not sure what magazines you were reading in Hereford in uh, the well, 90s, Ed. But take, take a break was obviously it. Yeah, it sounds very fun. But then it sounds something that could have been lifted out of the Hereford Times. Because <laughs> I remember the time my mum told me that um, she had it on good authority that someone in Hereford was uh, divorcing his wife because she was having an affair with their dog. Oh, that is absolutely lovely. And she believed every word of it. Good job you got out. Isn't it? Well, I might be going back, actually. So. <laughs> Elspeth giggled. Mark Halibut, she thought. What a joke. It's a bit unfair. He's only 15. But he, he sounds like he gives her a lot of grief. What Appledore lacked most was the fact that it was usually a ghost town next to the sea. That's all, all manner of um, grammatical errors there. There was a road that was straight, and then there was the co-op, where Elspeth worked, then the post office, and then a long line of houses. The beach was over the other side. I, do you know, I can remember going to Appledore. I can actually... Oh, I, I can remember going, and I can see it in my mind's eye. So is... Is this partly a true story, Ed? Uh, well, I've, I don't know Mark Halibut, and I, I've never tried to buy Marlborough Lights in Cornwall. Um, you would have tried to have a go on him, I think. Do you reckon? He was a bit of a rebel without yeah. a cause, by the sounds of it. Yeah. So go on then, Steve. So we're, the beach was over the other side. And there was a pavement, and then there was benches, and then there was a sandy beach, and the sea of the Atlantic Ocean. Is the Atlantic Ocean border like bordering Cornwall? I think it might do. I think I might have to Google that. I don't know. I know it's cold. <laughs> well, well, there we go. Really consisted of about 100 people, and most of them were elderly folks who stayed home all day. Most of the people who entered the co-op were passers-by on their way to Bidford or Padstow. Appledore wasn't a tourist attraction at all. It does surprise me about um, how expensive all the punters found the co-op. I mean, one pound fifty. £2.54. I'm surprised not everyone was flocking there. Well, it sounds like if it's just a road with a co-op and a post office, they didn't really have much choice, did they? True. As you go on to say, at night, lacked nightlife. Well, yeah. And unfortunately, day life as well. Funny <laughs> line, Ed. <laughs> it might as well just be a road. You do paint a very bleak picture of uh, Appledore. But I remember Appledore being quite pleasant. Not a lot going on, though. No, I mean, it inspired you to write this, didn't it? It did. It did. Yeah. 
Um, Elspeth took one look at the weather and sighed. Grain. Her blue check gown and short dumpy figure really didn't help to keep her warm. This is what happened every day. She got up at 10, walked to the shop at 10 to 11. She was unmarried, had no children, and she had no car, bike, or go-kart. <laughs> go-kart? Poor old Elspeth. She tried not to act like every old person in this place. She looked again at Oh, Elspeth. she's 55. I know. How old are you, Ed? 37. That's not far off, is it? Not really. I'm no. catching her up, old Elspeth. The difference is that I will continue to get old, whereas Elspeth now is immortalised in fiction and will no. never grow old. And you admire her, don't you? I've got, yes. Well, I've got a vision of this ever so old 55 and married woman getting <laughs> into a go kart <laughs> to sell fags for £2.54. Oh, yeah, wonderful. She's not going to be raking it in, is she? No. It was bucketing it down. Her glance looked through the rain and onto the beach. A black figure stood looking out to sea. Oh, God, Elspeth muttered. It's Jake again. He just stood there with a long hooded black cape on which was blowing in the wind. He's crying again, Elspeth said to herself. Poor lad. Excuse me, a voice broke Elspeth's stare. Yes, love? A frail blonde stood at the counter with seven children. I'd like a packet of Marlborough, she said. Elspeth reached under the counter and brought it out. Mark's packet. <laughs> Here we are. Sorry about the writing, love. It's just saying when the next stock is. That's £2.54. She's a card, isn't she? Isn't she? Nothing gets round Elspeth. She's lived her life. Elspeth glanced out to the beach. It was empty. Elspeth hoped that Jake hadn't done anything stupid. But if he had, then it was his own stupid fault. Oh. Mark Halibut strolled down the road casually. Again. <laughs> now, do you have the feeling that Mark Halibut might be a bit casual? <laughs> I bet that stupid cow gets all her sources from the gossipy old cow, Elizabeth McKay. She's exactly. the author. Is well, it... sort of. Oh, Ed, see, we were laughing at you with all of your crazy plot lines. But the joke's on me now. Oh, right, OK. Yeah. So, all her sources from the gossipy old cow Elizabeth McKay, he thought. She knows everything. I've got a good mind to. At that moment, he bumped straight into someone, sending their shopping crashing to the floor. It was a woman who swore and began to pick up the shopping. It was a woman's red, short, styled hair and a face plastered with makeup. Oh, God, Mark thought. It's Elizabeth bloody McKay. Well, if it isn't the puny 15-year-old Mark Halibut, she said, picking up her bags. Do you reckon she had halibut in there? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, he said, brushing her long black coat with his hands. I gotta go, he said. Wait, she held out a hand to stop him. I dropped an orange down there. He bent over to pick it up, but there was nothing there. He was about to get up when he felt a shopping bag smash into his legs and he fell onto his chest on the pavement. Elizabeth walked off down the road laughing. Mark got up and brushed himself with his hands. Stupid cow, he shouted to her. It's I'll... extraordinary, isn't it, that the casual Mark, the sort of lad that you think you might fancy, is just getting bullied by all of these elderly women. I know. 
clear accosted in the street. Doesn't laughed have, at, humiliated. Doesn't he have anyone his own age to bum fags off? <laughs> Clearly not. No, and then she goes on to say, I'll get you some fags, she shouted back and burst into laughter again. Mark clenched his fists and kept walking down the road. Elizabeth McKay had always hated their family since her boyfriend, Mark's uncle, ditched her for another woman. She's Mark couldn't understand how a walk-in perfume parlour with a face, very good line, <laughs> um, a walk-in perfume parlour with a face plastered makeup and hair colour changed every week could go out with his uncle, Tom Halibut. She was not Tom's type. Tom liked the natural younger woman as he was 32. Not the false bitchy 43-year-old cow. <laughs> Mark was wet from the rain. He wondered how Elizabeth could go walking out with two bags of shopping in the rain and still not get wet. Mm. It is the twilight zone and you're not on your own. <laughs> Mark glanced towards the beach. A black figure strolled along the beach with a black hooded cape blowing in the breeze. It's very romantic. Mark sighed. Hi, Jake, he shouted. How are you? But the figure didn't react or respond. He just kept walking and crying. It's been years, Jake, he shouted. Go home, it's all past. He's crazy, isn't he? Said a familiar voice. Jay Parker... Oh, God, the characters are coming thick and fast. Jay Parker stood next to Mark. Oh, hi, how did you get here, he said. I do live over the road. Or after the 70,000 times of coming over to my house, have you forgotten, she asked. Oh, it's a girl. Mm. Giving that character a, a sort of boy's name, but but it's a girl, just uh, really just helps the reader stay on track with all the different plot lines yeah. and the different characters. As if you weren't confused enough. Exactly. Yeah, but I didn't hear you, he said, giving her a hug. They kissed. Mm. Oh, well, she said. And they kissed again. Her short blonde hair swayed as he rocked her slightly. <laughs> what, she got like a monk cut. <laughs> I like that he rocked her slightly and that's how you imagine the romance to be. Just Rocking slightly on the beach. With a swaying fringe. Yeah. She wore jeans, a red and black lumberjack shirt and a white t-shirt on underneath. She was very pretty. And they made a great couple. Good, good. She never had approved of his small beard at 15. <laughs> but his hair made that up. <laughs> I'm glad. She had the same hair as Luke Perry. <laughs> That's what she... <laughs> I thought you might have meant he had the same hair as Luke Perry. And that she was sounds, she sounds hideous. <laughs> <laughs> They kiss, she laughed and rubbed the lipstick off his face. I mean, she presumably is around 15 as well. Yeah, and she's got lipstick on, hair like Luke Perry and a lumberjack shirt. I mean, <laughs> sounds like she sounds like Lynn Perry, not Luke Perry. <laughs> You're the best, Mark Halibut, she said, letting her eyes look over the beach. Jake had gone, probably to the old beach house where he lived. He's gone, she said, turning her back to Mark. Just in case you missed it the first time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've just started kissing straight away, haven't they? Mm. She slips his hands under his brown leather jacket, rubbing his body under his white T-shirt. Oh, I'm getting a bit a bit hot under the collar here. I mean, you've definitely 
gone on holiday to Cornwall and met a young scallywag uh, called Mark Place or some <laughs> other fishy fishy name that Mark. you're trying to disguise him in your book. Mark Bottom Sucker. <laughs> <laughs> you wish. Mark, I'm trying to think of other fish. Mark um, Stingray. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be it. That'll be it. Maybe I'll get in touch with you now. Yeah. So, he said, you're not falling for him, are you? Of course not, stupid. I love you too much, she said. I love you too. And they kissed again. So, he's threatened by this character wandering up and down the sea, who has been doing it for years, mm. um, wearing a, a long black coat in the wind. And he's threatened that his lumberjack-wearing girlfriend is falling for him, despite... Mm having any conversation and she's 15 yeah and i mean i don't know what age he is but don't know many 15 year olds either now or in 1995 that walked along the beach in a cape for years and years and years unless they were a little bit strange yeah yeah um so we've got we've met about we've met almost a little hamlet of characters here well, given that there's only a hundred people that live in this area, we've met nearly all of them. Yeah, we've met a, met a sizable percentage, I would say, of the overall population of Appledore. Which well, given that most of them are elderly and just stay inside. Yeah, we've probably met all of them. I wonder where she got her um, short hair that swayed in the breeze, cut in this uh, on this. And did you taking a picture of Luke Perry? <laughs> she just took 90210 group shot and said just pick one <laughs> so let's go let's go on a tiny little bit obviously I don't know how this is going to go I don't know where it's going to go so uh, Elspeth oh we're back with Elspeth she'd finished her magazine the rain had stopped and there was a customer she was a young girl about 20 with long blonde hair and a ponytail she was very pretty and thin she was wearing a long green skirt and a cream jumper. That sounds horrible. Yeah. She got dressed in the dark. Excuse me, she said. I'm new here and I'm looking for beach, beachside cottage. Oh, love, Elspeth said, motioning the directions with her hands. Go along the beach. It's about ten metres along the road here. It's just here, really. <laughs> there is a hedge and a gate outside, but no name. Thank you very much, she said. Well, that was enough for her. You say you're new here, Elspeth said, making conversation. I'm Elspeth Han. I work here. Natasha Jennings. The girl shook hands with Elspeth. Oh, you're the young lady coming here to write the book. Elspeth was quite amazed. Oh, yes, I am. How did you know? <laughs> you lapsed into American now, remembering who she is. <laughs> Natasha hadn't told anyone, and she really wanted to keep it quiet. Oh, I just know. Well, she's got her sources, isn't she? Exactly. I think you say, I. oh, I just know, Elizabeth lied? Elspeth lied, yeah. Elizabeth lied. Elizabeth had told her. Well, this is amazing. I wonder if you could sign, of, sign my copy of Lost Soul. Sure. Elspeth handed her a pen and went to get her book from out back. <laughs> There's lots out back, isn't there? Yeah, she just always carries her book. Yeah, it's just always there, right back, you know. Yeah. When she returned, Natasha opened the front cover and wrote, To Elspeth, best wishes, Natasha Jennings. I love the way I've kind of really tried to make it look like it's not my writing there. <laughs> yes, it's very sweet. 
it's exactly what was written in this made-up book. Exactly. Thank you, she said, as Natasha handed over the book. I must compliment you on your work. I would never have guessed that Lucinda loved Adrian and killed Carmichael for his money. Thank you very much, Natasha said uneasily. I must get going. I'll see you later, maybe? Maybe, Elspeth said. Oh, I forgot. Could I have some crisps? Bacon flavour, please, Natasha said, stopping just in front of the door. On the ass, Elspeth said. Suddenly gone very cockney, isn't it? <laughs> Throwing a packet over. Natasha caught them. Probably all those years playing softball. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks you, Elspeth, she said, and left the shop. Pretty young girl, Elspeth thought. A good writer, too. Elspeth slid the book and her magazine aside and sat thinking about how she'd been the first to see the young writer. At that moment, Elizabeth... God, Elizabeth, Elspeth, Elizabeth... There's lots of lots of uh, confusion. It's turning into a Shakespearean farce. At that moment, Elizabeth McKay walked in. Guess what, Elspeth said. I've just seen this writer who is staying at Beachside Cottage to write a book. Elspeth, dear, it's old news, Elizabeth said, resting her bag on the counter. I even got my book signed by her, Elspeth said, showing it proudly to her. Wow, Elizabeth said sarcastically. Listen, Els, I want you to stay away from her. She's bad news. Why, Elspeth interrupted. No questions. I just know, Elspeth said. I'd stay away, but don't get involved. She is very bad news indeed. And that's the end of the chapter. It's a page turner, isn't it? That really is a page turner. I'm, I'm really quite pleased. Considering the horrendous opening. Yeah. I think this has, has got a bit of a cliffhanger going on. Yeah, since she's got to Cornwall, it's got a lot better. Yeah. I think it's probably because I, I've been to Cornwall, so I know how to manage those kind of things. I've never been to America, so I haven't got the foggiest. You hadn't spent three days in bed with a lover. No. <laughs> either, which is why that segment was particularly weird. Well, I've got a feeling that um, coming up, because I, I, it's coming back to me now writing this, I've got a feeling that there is a, uh, and I hate to, hate to say it, a sensual scene a little later on. I cannot wait. So we'll look forward to that. Um, Ed Payne, the grandfather of erotic <laughs> fiction. Ooh. Um, so, exciting, exciting, exciting. What's coming up next week? We we wait with bated breath. Um, are you looking forward to seeing what's uh, what else is coming up? I can't Side? wait. I can't wait to work out the relationship between Elizabeth that's in Cornwall and the Elizabeth was heard about is it the same person do people just with very similar names I don't know perhaps there's going to be some kind of you know um I keep saying Shakespearean but that's all I can think of you know where there's a bit of a misconstrued she thinks Elizabeth McKay is Elizabeth McKee you know hilarity ensues who knows can't just be there by accident although although judging from your your penned words up to that point. I'm not sure hilarity would ensue. Mm -hmm. I suspect somebody would slash someone's throat. <laughs> You're absolutely right. It's nice that we're, uh, <laughs> we're really um, seeing patterns and trends evolving. So it's wonderful to submit as your uh, GCSE or something. Oh, do you know what? If I was writing this hokum, uh, 
as um, part of a recreational action, then God knows what I was writing for GCSE. God knows how I passed. Because I remember having to write a short story for GCSE. That would have included quite a lot of misery, wouldn't it? I think it was a very miserable tale, but well told, I would imagine. With all the detail. All the detail. And no one can knock me for leaving out detail. Exactly. Sophie, thank you as ever. I look forward to speaking to you again next week. Thank you very much. I look forward to reading it. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. Follow the conversation for yourself at Dear Me Pod on Facebook. See you next time.